0: Right. Thank you so much. How many of you brought your Bible with you tonight? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building? I want to ask you to join me, if you will, in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, chapter 73, uh, page number 634, if you have an old Scofield Bible, Psalms, chapter 73. And uh, I'll just read just a phrase of a verse and then I'll ask you to leave your Bibles open because we're going to be dealing with several verses in this chapter. And I'll be brief about this, I promise you. We have 328 people that rode our church buses over here this morning. Isn't that a good crowd? And I praise the Lord for every person, every soul that rode the church buses today. Best of all, we had one saved on the other side of the building, which is a real blessing. And then all of our buses did a tremendous job of bringing people to church today. Our West Winston route had 30. The Kernersville route had 11. South Winston route had 31. Uh, one of our Spanish routes had 29. The King Rural Hall route had 31. Another Spanish route had 17. The Mount Airy route had 24. The Murray Road route had 43. Another Spanish route had 30. The Pofftown route had 41. The Augburn Station route had 23. The Siloam route had 18. And when you put all that together, that's 328 people that rode our church buses today. I appreciate the hard work of all of our bus workers and captains and drivers. And then I praise God for the riders that rode the church buses over here. And then we always try to send them home with a meal and let them know we love them. And I appreciate all of those of you that worked in the children's churches and the cafeteria uh, getting all that stuff ready so our bus workers could go home with something to eat. And uh, so thank you so much for the good work, the good day. 328 riders on our church buses. Could I just mention this again? We are in desperate need. I'm not going to pound you about it, but I just want to Say, we're in desperate need for some drivers on our church buses. Some of you may already have your CDLs and you may already have the P endorsement, or maybe you have your CDLs but you don't have the P endorsement. And if you'd go get that, we sure need some drivers for our church buses. We really do right now. And Brother David scrambles almost every Sunday trying to fill slots, get folks uh, to drive, you know, church buses for us and so forth. And I know it's probably, what, two hours of your time, and Sunday's a day of I get all that, but I promise you one of the most rewarding things you'll ever do is work, work in the bus ministry. And, uh, you know, when you get when you drop that last rider off and you head home, there's just something satisfying about that. I don't know what it is, but it's just something satisfying about that. And if you want to make a difference in somebody's life, the fastest way I know to do that is get involved in the bus ministry. I tell you what, buddy, you can make a difference in somebody's life. And if you would be interested in driving a church bus for us, you've got a CDL with a P endorsement, or you'll go get one. If you'll see Brother David after church, uh, that'd take a load off his mind, and that'd be a blessing to our bus ministry as well. Psalm 73 tonight, 634 in the Old Scofield Bible. I want to read verse 17, just a phrase of a verse, and it says this, Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Until... I went into the sanctuary of God. I'm preaching tonight briefly on this thought. I'm glad I went to church. I'm glad I went to church. I want to tell you a little bit about this chapter and why it makes me glad. That I came to church. Let's pray. Father, bless your word tonight. Help us as we look at this text together. And I pray the Spirit of God would just uh, be pleased and be glorified and Jesus would be glorified as we move around in these verses tonight for just a little bit. I pray you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Without doubt, one of the greatest Psalms in the whole book of Psalms and one of my favorite Psalms in all the book of Psalms is Psalms chapter 73. Oddly enough, what I'm about to tell you may seem a little bit strange, but really, this psalm is all about going to church. And the reason that's strange is because we know that the church is not going to come into existence for another 800 years from this point. But really, this chapter lays out for us an important reason, a great reason, of why we ought to go to church. You know, in reality, and I know I'm preaching to per se the choir tonight because you are in church, but uh, you know, there are many reasons that are given to us throughout the Word of God of why church should be important to us. And among those many reasons. I could say, number one, the church is the place where we come into the presence of God. You know what a joy it is to be able to come together and to gather in God's presence. Hey, it's one thing, and I'm glad you're here, and it's good to get in your presence, and and I guess in some kind of a weird way, maybe it's good to get into my presence, maybe just a little bit, but you know the greatest and the grandest thing about coming to church is we have the opportunity to draw into the presence of God. You know, God desires for His people to come into his presence. And the one place that he has specifically designed for us to be able to do that is the house of God. You're sitting in it tonight. God didn't build Haynes Mall for his people to gather over there and worship him. And God didn't build uh, what used to be Ernie Shore, whatever it is, BB&T Ballpark, whatever it is now. God didn't design and build that place over there for the church to gather to come into his presence. He sure unto God didn't do that down there at that raceway down here at the uh, south end of town, uh, that uh, Bowman Gray Speedway. But I I tell you what, God designed a place and is called the church, and Jesus died for the church, so you and me could come together and get and gather into god's presence. Hey, we ought to come to church. You know why? We get the opportunity to meet with god hey i 'm going to somebody. I have the privilege tonight to meet with somebody much higher than President Biden. Amen. Hey, we have the privilege to come into God's presence. Church is a place where my faith gets fed. God doesn't want my faith to be fickle and flimsy. You know, we're living in a day when uh, when uh, there's a lot of fickleness, if that's even a word. There's a lot of flimsiness on the part of, of a lot of people. But aren't you glad there's a place you can come and get some good old-fashioned faith food, get your faith fed so you can go out here and your faith won't be flimsy or fickle, but it'll be fortified. It'll be firm it'll be strong as we live out these last days. And God has designed a place for you to come and for me to come to get our faith fed. And that's right here in the house of God. The church is also the place where I meet the right kind of people that's going to encourage me in this walk of life. Now I get it. I'm like you. I know every church has uh, has its hypocrites. I get all that. And I guess all of us are a little bit hypocritical from time to time. But I promise you this. 99% of the people that you meet in church are not fake, they're real. They are real. And if there's a place that we ought to come and position ourselves to get ourselves in the presence of the right kind of people, it ought to be the house of God. You see, I'm going to get out here in the world this week and I'm going to rub shoulders with the wrong kind of people and they're going to try to tear me down. They're going to try to tempt me to do wrong. But I can gather together over here with God's people and you're going to provoke me and encourage me to do that which is right in the sight of God. Where am I going to meet people like that? Right here in the house of God. But can I give you another reason? That's really what this psalm is all about tonight. This psalm tells us that we ought to come to church because church is a place to help us to stay focused, to stay balanced. Now, really, you know what we run into in this psalm? If you look right under Psalm 73 at the top of the page, we read that this is a psalm of Asaph. Now, a lot of people think, think that David wrote all the Psalms, but that's not true. David wrote some, Moses wrote some, and then this man by the name of Asaph, he wrote a number of psalms in the book of Psalms. Let me tell you something about Asaph. Asaph was not your run-of-the-mill average churchgoer. Let me tell you something about Asaph. He was highly involved and highly invested in the temple of his day. He was a big man in the house of God back in those days. In fact, one of his jobs was he was the music man in the house of God. God had gifted this man boy with the ability to write songs and and to to play music and he used that gift and that ability inside of the house of God. He was a music man. If there were music going on in the temple, David, the David uh, that had the desire to build the temple and later on Solomon who did build the temple, if you heard music going on inside of that temple there was a man by the name of Asaph who was up leading the choir, leading the orchestra, leading the musicians as they played music and sang songs in the house of God. Back in the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 4 and verse 5, the Bible said, And David appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. And Asaph was the chief man in the house of God whose main job it was was to praise the Lord in the house of God. He was a music man. Oh, I want to tell you, he was always around singing and singing and the playing of instruments. But he also had a ministry in the Word of God as well because the Bible tells us that Asaph was a seer. A seer. You say, what's that mean? Well, the word seer in the Old Testament is the word prophet. And he had the ability. I mean, he had the ability. He had the, uh, the, uh, the foresight to see things down the road in the light of, of the Word of God. And he, and he was a prophet. He had a ministry in song, but he also had a ministry in the Word of God. He was a prominent man in everything that went on in the house of God. But as we approach our text tonight, we find this good man. Let me say it like this. We find this church man man who 's got a real problem in his life, if you look at psalm seventy three verse number one, he says this truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean uh, of a clean heart now really he 's telling us here that the, that the problem that he was facing has now been solved. The crisis has been averted uh, the the catastrophe has been avoided, he's back on top again, everything's all right, and he just starts off on a positive note and says, Okay, I just want to tell you, God is good, he's good to Israel, and he's good to everybody, he's got a clean heart. Can I have an amen? But then beginning in verse number 2, he begins to describe what happened to him. Now, if you look at verse number 2, he says this, My feet have become unstable my feet had become unstable. Look what he said in verse 2. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Now, let me translate that into our terminology of today. Oasis oh, is saying, You know, I was almost backslid on God. My spiritual feet had gone right out from under me. I was about to fall. I was about to. To quit, You know, sometimes life has a little tendency to get slippery, doesn't it? Life sometimes comes along and things happen in this walk of life. And many times, if we aren't careful, it causes our feet to start to, I'm talking about our spiritual feet, to slide right out from under us. And it seems to me that he's indicating in verse number 2 that he's having trouble. He's having trouble standing for God, much less trouble walking with God. He says, my feet had become unstable. My feet were sl- Slipping right out from under me, my steps had well nigh slipped. Now, we know there's got to be a problem for that. If his feet had become unstable, something had caused him to reach this particular spiritual point in his life. So he goes on now in verse number three. And he says this My feet were unstable because my focus was unbiblical. Look what he said in verse 3. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Let me tell you what happened to him. He got his eyes off the Lord, and he would got his eyes on the world around him. And, buddy, any time you and I get our eyes off the Lord and get them on the world around us, on people around us, the end result, our feet are going to start to slip. His feet were unstable because his focus was unbiblical. He got to envying the wicked crowd. Look what he said in verse 4. Verse number 3, I was envious at the foolish, When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He had actually started envying the wicked crowd. He actually thought the wicked people, the unsaved people, were having it better than he was as a child of God trying to serve the Lord. Let me say it like this. He looked at the world and he got to envying. He got to desiring what. They had. You know that's not a pro- that's a problem. that's not uncommon to a lot of God's people in our day. There's a lot of people who sit inside the church that think people outside the church are better off than us sitting inside the church trying to live for God. I think about many who sit in our churches and stare out the stained glass windows of the of the house of God, and they have a look of longing, like somehow or another that crowd out there is having more fun, having a better time, enjoying life more than we are sitting inside of the house of God. Oh, I want to tell you, friend, you better hear me and hear me well. The safest place you can attend is the house of God. And the safest place you can abide is the will of God. You better stay in church. You better keep your eyes on Jesus. If you don't, your feet's going to become unstable because your focus will become unbiblical. Amen. He got to thinking they were having it better off than he was. Oh, my soul. How many times in our Old Testament do we read about the nation of Israel? After they left the land of Egypt, and then they started wanting to go back down yonder into the land of Egypt. Is that not amazing? There they were working in the slime pits and the mud pits of Egypt. They were making bricks. They had to even go gather their own straw. They were slaves and servants to the empire of Egypt. They were beaten if their tallies didn't, uh, didn't match quota. I mean, buddy, they were in a mess. And then God delivered them and brought them out and gave them for their slavery. God gave them freedom and liberty. But many times we read that they thought that they had things better. Better off when they were back in the land of Egypt than they do following the will of God for their life. Look at this verse right here. The Bible said in in Numbers 11 verse 5, they said this, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt. What's the next word? Freely. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. They said, man, we, we used to have a smorgasbord. When we was back in the land of Egypt, we had fish, and it was all free. Really? You're working 16 to 18 hours a day in a mud pit making bricks for a taskmaster, getting a fire beat out of you, and it's free. See how the devil sometimes affects our way of thinking about things. He gets us to thinking, our focus to become unbiblical, so that our feet will, will become unstable. I think about this. Listen to this in numbers 14 and verse number four. They said this, one to another, "Let us make a captain, and let us return." into Egypt. Now here they are on the very cusp of the the promised land, the land of Canaan. Just across the valley is the land of Canaan flowing with milk and honey. And here they are that close. I mean, they can cast, like the song said, they can cast a wistful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. They could see all of that just across the valley. And, And then they decide they're going to turn around and they say, hey, let's get a committee. Let's go back to the land of Egypt. Can you believe that. Why would anybody on this side of Calvary want to go back to life on that side of Calvary? It just doesn't make any sense when we begin to focus unbiblically on the wicked and the lost of this world. That's totally against what God has to say about it in the Bible. In Psalms 37, verse number one, God said, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. God said, I want to give you a word of caution now. Don't you start looking at that wicked crowd and think they've got it better than you have. Don't you become envious at that crowd. In Proverbs 24, verse 19, verse number 20, fret not thyself because of evil men, neither be thou envious at the wicked. Why? For there shall be no reward to the evil man. The candle of the wicked shall be put out. Proverbs 23, verse number 17, the Bible said, let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. the, The writer said, hey, let me give you some advice. Let me give you some wise counsel. Don't get your eyes on lost people. Don't want what they've got. What you've got is ten thousand times better than what they could ever dream to have. And Don't be envious of them, but fear the Lord. Keep your eyes on Jesus and serve the Lord. Amen. The psalmist, his feet had become unstable because his focus had become unbiblical. And then look at this. When all that happens, his findings had become untruthful. Listen to me. When you start slipping, boy, the tragedy of slipping saints. When you start slipping, when I start slipping, and then we get our eyes on the world, we'll never reach proper conclusions about the way things really are. I mean, let me say it, when our feet are unstable and our, and our, and our focus becomes unbiblical, our findings will become untruthful. And if you'll start there in verse number 4 and go all the way down through verse number 16... You're going to find this old boy. He's saying a lot of stuff about lost people that just isn't true. Look, if you will, and I'm not going to deal with all this, but look at verse 4. There are no bands in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They're corrupt, speak wickedly. Uh, verse 9, they set their mouth against the heavens. Their tongue walketh through the earth. Verse 10, they're, they're, uh, therefore his people return here. Their waters of a full cup are wrung out. They say in verse 11, how doth God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in wealth. You know what he's saying? He said, man, I'm just, I'm just looking at this now. My feet are slipping. My, uh, uh, my focus has become muddled and unclear. And now I'm beginning to reach some finding. That are just not truthful. They are having it better off than I am. In fact, if you want to see how bad he got, if you looked at verse number thirteen, he said, "I got saved, but what in the world has it profited me to get saved and try to live for God?" Look at verse thirteen. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. You know what he's saying, man? What's this saved stuff? Look where it's got me. I'm head over heels in trouble. I mean, man, I, I'm struggling. I have battles. He goes on to say down in verse number, uh, verse number 14, I'm chastened all the day long. They never get chastised. They cuss. They do whatever they want to do. You never see anything happen to them. I say one little four-letter word and God's all over me. I do one little thing that uh, uh, that, that I wouldn't even think is a big thing compared to what they're doing. And he said, God just whoops the daylights out of me. It's just not Fair, I had it better off on the other side of Calvary. I'm telling you, friend, your your findings are going to become untruthful when your focus becomes unbiblical because your feet become unstable. Can I have an amen? I mean, they, he he is messed up in his thinking. I'm trying to live for God. This other crowd don't care anything about God, and look at they having it better than I am. Does that sound familiar to you? Is there anybody in here tonight in that kind of a shape? Is there anybody in here tonight that's been thinking along those lines? So you'll agree with me from verse 1 to verse 16. This psalmist, Asaph, a good church-going man, highly involved and invested in the work of God, is in real trouble. But then I want you to notice verse 17. Now, everything I've just told you, that was before he went to church. But there come a good day in this old boy's life in verse 17 when he showed back up at the house of God. In verse 17, he says, I went into the sanctuary of God. And boy, I want to tell you something, that was a day that changed the rest of his life. That was a day that changed his perspective. That was a day that God began to straighten some things out for him. Let me say it like this that was a day when God began to clear some things up for him. That was a day when God began to deal with his untruthful findings and began to show him some things that he had that the world does not have. And I'm telling you something. Going to church straightened it all out. Can I tell you why we ought to stay in church? It'll keep us focused. It'll keep us balanced. It'll keep us from uh, from envying the wicked. It'll keep our feet from slipping out from under us. It'll keep us from finding things uh, that's uh, uh, that's uh, unbiblical and untruthful, buddy. We better stay in church, especially in these days. You better anchor down in the house of God because if you don't, you'll get caught up. You'll get caught up in this crowd thinking, hey, it's better outside than it is. In inside. I bet old Noah didn't say that inside of that ark. When the rain started falling, I think he said it's better to be on the inside looking out. Hey, brother, I'm glad to tell you one of these days we'll be glad we are on the inside. And when he went to church, some things started clearing up. So here's what I want to do. 622, but I want to show you just three or four things that happened to this old boy when he went to church. First of all, Verse 17, I went into the sanctuary of God. And then he said this, Then understood I their end. Oh, my brother. And then I come to verse 22, and I find this out. He admitted his foolishness. He admitted his foolishness. Look at verse 22. So foolish was I. Now, I mean, he's already God's done spoke to him. He's already got on the altar, and he's got right with God. He goes back to his seat, and he's just sitting there. And he says, You know something? I was crazy. For thinking like that. He said, I was, if you look at verse 22, he said this, I I was like a dumb beast before the Lord. He admitted how foolish his thinking had been. In fact, can I say this? He was grieved over how he'd been thinking. He was broken over the contemplations and the meditations of his heart. He said in verse 22, I felt like a dumb animal. I felt just like a dumb beast before the Lord. If you look over in verse number two, he said, I, in verse number 2, he said, I am in a slippery place. But then if you look down in this same chapter, he said, No, no, it's not me that's in a slippery place. Where is that at? Help me find that. It's in this text right here. Y'all help me find that right quick. 17, 18. He said in verse number 2, I'm in a slippery place. But when God began to show him some things, he said, No, no, it's not me that's in a slippery place. He said, They are. Look at verse 18. Surely thou didst set them. In slippery places. Hey, we're not hey, we're not slipping on a banana peel on a fast track to hell. No, sir. We're on the other side of Calvary, saved by the grace of God. We're going to heaven when life is over, when Jesus comes. But that crowd, I take no pleasure. I'm not gloating over it, but I'm here to tell you that crowd that has no time for God, don't care anything about God. They're on a slippery banana peel, heading for a devil's hell. But you and I are in a firm place with our Savior. Man, he said, I thought I was in a slippery place, but God doesn't show me. They're the ones in the slippery places. In verse number 3, he envied the foolish. But when he went to church, in verse number 22, he admitted admitted that he was the foolish one. In verse number 4, he thought their strength was firm. But buddy, by the time church is over, he realized that the Lord was his strength. Oh, I want to tell you, friend, it don't get no better. I'm here to tell you with all the problems, all the troubles, it don't get no better than it does on this side of Calvary. It don't get no better than being saved by the grace of God. He admitted his foolishness. You ever been there before? Boy, I sure have. Get to feeling sorry for yourself. Then you start making those false accusations against the Lord like he's done you wrong. And then you go to church and somebody stands up and starts singing. And then the preacher gets up and starts preaching. And boy, the Holy Spirit of God begins to deal with your heart. And then you sit there and you think, man, I'm just, I'm so crazy. I'm so foolish for thinking something like that. I'm so, I'm so crazy for bringing those accusations against the Lord. He does love me, He does care for me. I said this when He went to church, He admitted His foolishness. Boy, God has His way of showing us how foolish we are in our thinking. Number two, not only did He admit His foolishness, but number two, He acknowledged His failures. Look at verse 26. He says this, My flesh and my heart faileth." You know, going to church has a, way to keep, keep, uh, has a way of keeping us on our toes about our hearts and our flesh. The psalmist said here that His heart and His flesh had failed them. And by the way, they will. You can't. Somebody said, well, just, just follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Don't ever follow your heart. You know why? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Don't follow your heart. Your heart will lead you into trouble every time. And you sure unto God can't trust your flesh. I mean, man, we better be sure we're following the principles and and the guidelines given to us in the Word of God. And then the matter of our flesh. Oh my. Buddy, you want to get your life in in a peck of trouble? You let the flesh take over. I've been preaching for weeks now about what the flesh will do if we allow the flesh to dominate our lives. Our lives will become one big moral cesspool of sin and iniquity if we allow the flesh to rule our lives. Our lives will become just one big drama, one big mess if the flesh presides. That's why we ought to come to church, because we have a preacher and and others who will stand up before us and tell us, hey, watch the flesh, watch the heart, keep your eyes on Jesus. You start depending upon that, you're going to wind up in a a real mess. Hey, the to fail, rest within the bosom of everybody in here. We better fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. And going to church will remind us, be sober, be vigilant because we have an adversary who wants to destroy our life. I'm telling you, we need to admit our foolishness and we need to acknowledge our failures. Going to church, have a way to do that. I've said this before. I got nobody in mind as I make this statement, but I'm going to say it again. It does bother me that people can come to church service after service, week after week, month after, year after year. And I mean, God never speak to their heart. And them have to get up here on this altar and do some confessing to God because of some of the stuff that's going on in their life. I don't understand. I, you know... As a preacher, sometimes you can't get on the altar, but I promise you this, I get on a lot of altars before I stand up and preach. And buddy, I'll tell you this as well. When other preachers come in to preach, oftentimes I have to find my way to the altar. You know why? My heart and my flesh, they fail me. Your heart and your flesh will fail you. That's why we need the church, friend. It's a place where God will keep us balanced, keep our perspective right. But it's also a place where God can remind us, don't you trust your heart? It's a place where God will remind us, you can't trust your your flesh. He admitted his foolishness. He acknowledged his failures. Number three, he adjusted his focus. And I like this, but look at verse number 25. Now, previously in the opening part of this chapter, he's wanting what the world and the wicked have. But when he comes to verse 25, that one trip to church, he says this, There is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. I mean, a minute ago, he's wanting everything they've got. He thinks they're having more fun than he's having. He thinks they're enjoying life more than he's he's enjoying life. And, and And he seemingly is wanting to distance himself from God. But, buddy, that trip to church helped him to understand one thing. That is how desperately he needed God. And now he's saying out of all the things that are on the earth, there's absolutely nothing I want more than I want you. Boy, I'm telling you something. That is quite a statement. You let that become the desire of our heart. You let that become the desire of every person's heart in this room, and I'm going to tell you in one word what's going to happen. Revival. When we come to the place that we're not desiring what they've got, but there's nothing more on this earth than we desire other than God, I'm telling you something, we are candidates for revival. With all that's going on in our world today, aren't you glad you got a church to come to to remind you that this world is not our home? Aren't you glad that we got a church that we can come to and listen to good music and singing? And somebody's going to get up here and take the Bible, the Word of God, and constantly remind us there's a better world than this. Somewhere way up there, there's a place called heaven, and we're going to live in God's presence forever and ever. I'm telling you, you look around at the landscape of our world today politically. You look around at the landscape of our world today morally. You look around at the landscape of our world today spiritually, and the one conclusion you're going to as you're living, we're living in dark days. We were going home yesterday in downtown Pilot Mountain, which is redneck capital of the world. And somebody has got on a building in in Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, and painted a rainbow. I I said to my wife, I said, did I just see what I think I just saw? Isn't it a sight that them bunch of Those bunch of people have stolen an emblem that God meant for the storm is over. It'll never happen again, and they've stole that. And the month of June, can you believe the month of June? Kellogg's Frosted Flakes has come out with an LGBTQRS cereal in honor of, of the month of June, gay pride month. Or have we lost our mind or what? We have lost our ever-loving mind, but I sure am glad I got a church to come to. Folks in this church, we agree, and if you don't agree, you probably ain't going to be around here long, no way, So, because you're going to hear it a lot. But we agree. Man, we're in unison. We're, we're on the same level about all that. And I'm here to tell you, friend, this is a place I can come and I can get my focus adjusted back where it needs to be, off the world and on to the Lord. He said in, in, in this same chapter, look at verse 28, he advanced his fellowship. Look at verse 28. It is good for me to draw near to God. Boy, I want to tell you something, what a blessed privilege to draw near to God. When I put my New Testament glasses on and read verse 28, I read James 4, 8 when it says this. uh, The Bible said we can draw near to God, draw nigh unto God, and God will draw nigh unto us. Not just anybody can get close to God, but you and I on this side of Calvary have the blessed privilege to come into God's presence and enjoy his fellowship. And then lastly, he accepted his function. Look what he said at verse 28. Okay, it's done, service is over. I got to go now, he said. But he said this, I put my trust in the Lord God. And I'm going to leave here and I'm going to declare all of his works. You know, i got to think about this. Before church, he didn't have anything good to say. And after church, he didn't have anything anything bad to say. That one service got his focus back right again. I want to tell you, that's why we ought to come to church, folks, in these days. We're going to need somewhere every once in a while, somebody will stand up and say, look away from that. Don't get your eyes on that. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look full in this wonderful face. Then the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. He's gone from doubting to shout, to, from doubting and pouting to shouting. He's gone from pining and whining to shining. He's gone from deploring and boring to soaring and adoring. How did it happen? He went into the sanctuary of God. So as I walk out the door tonight, I just want to tell you, Lord willing, I'll be back Wednesday night. I need the house of God.